Welcome to the Person, Partner, Parent Podcast. We're all about pursuing a life where you can be a great parent, enjoy a loving relationship, and chase your own dreams. It's not necessarily about equal balance, but shifting with change and challenges that come before us. It's about discerning what matters and what we need to focus on. I am your host, Nancy Elizabeth. I'm a mom of two small humans and one fur baby. I'm a partner of 15 years and wife of nine. I'm an engineer who didn't want the corporate world, but armed with a love of research, I became a self-improvement enthusiast who has a burning desire to experience life in its fullest. Now I'm ready to take what I've learned, bring in the experts, and help us all figure it out. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today, we are talking about back to school. This is the time of year that I'm usually super happy because even though I'm not going back to school and I don't have kids really at that age yet, it's the time when Target and CVS and Walmart are covered in notebooks and matching. You know, I was that kid that had the matching everything, the trapper keeper, the pencil case. Like I just loved it. I still organize with every color sticky note and highlighter that there is. Ooh, it just makes me so happy back to school stuff. But ah, this year, this year, that is not the case. And I know it is weighing so heavily. It's weighing heavily on the parents. It's weighing heavily on the administrators. It's weighing heavily on any concerned citizen who really is worried about what's going on. So today we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about the varied and differing opinions, the different feelings of safety, who's comfortable with what, why we shouldn't judge each other for our different choices or for where we fall on this, but we can look to the greater system failure that has led us here. We need to be supportive of each other and what we feel safe with or what we are declaring we need or our children need to be respectful of each other as we face something. Guys, there's no precedent here. There's no book. We've never as a society at this point in time, this having this much education built in, face something like this. And so there's no precedent here. So let's not judge each other. Let's try to hear and understand and listen. You know, I think of cancel culture. And if you don't know cancel culture, it's when you say something maybe unfavorable or even something that you just disagree with, that you get canceled, quote unquote, by culture. People make calls to be mean to you, shut you down, stop listening to you. It originally came out against people who were being blatantly racist and and things like that to not give them a voice on social media anymore because that's presumably where they are making their money and name for themselves. But then it became kind of a mob mentality and became negativity and a chance to just attack someone when you have no idea where they're coming from. Even if you disagree and maybe their opinion isn't the most informed, I hope we can come to see that that form of negativity and jumping on and attacking 
is not the way any of us are going to grow. Rant aside about cancel culture not being appropriate in this case, don't cancel the mom who wants her kids to go back to school. Don't cancel the teacher who doesn't want to teach right now. Don't cancel the person who'd really prefer to stay home because they're worried. No, don't cancel each other. Let's listen to each other. So today, here on this episode, we're going to start listening to all the options, to all the things that are going on. And then we're going to continue to talk. We're going to talk to some teachers. We're going to talk to administrators. We're going to talk to parents. Um, And we're going to do the best we can to see each other through this hard time. So in most school districts across the country, we're looking at a few different things. We're looking at going back to school full time. We're looking at distance learning, as they're calling it, what we attempted to do in the spring, or some combo of both. And then there's school districts offering one, two, or maybe all three of these options. In addition to that, there's things like homeschooling, private school, charter school, private tutors. There's a couple other options as well. So distance learning. Guys, I tried to record this earlier, and there's so many pros and cons. It's so complicated. And, you know, I I completely advocate that if you're trying to figure this out, that you make the pro and con list. And this isn't just a simple pro-con. You've got multiple items to weigh out. And some things carry more weight than others. This is what my husband and I have done for years with hard situations and hard decisions. When we were younger, maybe it was easier. But as life has grown more complex and things seem to have more weight, we write it down. Get a big piece of poster paper, butcher paper sometimes they call it. It comes on the roll. Or a whiteboard. Or type it if that's what you resonate with. But there's something really powerful and clarity about seeing it visually. Because I'm looking now and I'm looking, you know, for distance, there's an awful lot on the con list. But the item on the pro list is a pretty big item. And it's kind of a similar balance, but flip-flopped for back to school. So it's just so interesting how that looks, and it can just help us weigh out what works for us. Distance learning. It's 100% safe. There's going to be no spreading of the virus when we're all staying socially distanced, when we're at home, when we're continuing to stay at home orders, continuing to quarantine. It removes that risk. One of the major downsides is that there's no social interaction that the kids are continuing to miss their friends, their teachers, their peers. And, you know, there's some science on this. I haven't, maybe later we'll post to it, but I know in the threat of health, it seems minuscule, but mental health is important too. And I do think it's hard for these little ones to be without their friends. As adults, we're struggling. Oh man, I miss my friends. It has to be hard for them. And when the younger kids are learning, especially, there's so much peer-to-peer interaction, so much they're learning from each other. Another big factor is the curriculum was not designed for this. You know, homeschool, we don't always sit in front of a TV screen or a computer screen. And it's not one teacher with 20, 30 students. It's shorter class times, it's curriculum, it's workbooks, it's interactive, it's field trips, self-directed. It's a combination usually. And trying to do six hours of school on Zoom calls is going to be incredibly hard. The curriculum that, that the teachers have been given to teach with the activities that are built in, 
they got a tough job in front of them trying to convert that to something that can be achieved over distance learning and achieved successfully. Another big factor to distance learning is access to technology. It's a very real reality in this country that not everyone has multiple computers or devices. And maybe not enough for everyone in their household. There are companies that have stepped up and are trying to fill that gap. But not everyone has that. Not even every home has a computer in general. Not every home has internet. Not every home has fast internet. I think that's something a lot of us take for granted and have no clue that that's how it is in 2020 in the USA. But it's true. And those kids are going to struggle with that. It's going to be hard for them. If they're sharing a computer among siblings, if they're in a situation where it's hard for them to focus, I mean, I've heard more detailed accounts of this. Maybe kids don't want to share their home or maybe their home isn't quiet. There's a lot of factors where for a group of children, their access and accessibility and ability to engage in distance learning is going to be different. Along with curriculum that I mentioned before, um, factors like class size. I don't, for all of us who have ever been on a group chat or any of these now, there's a ton of different meeting rooms you can go to. For me, I feel like the cap is at five. Anything over five people, and I don't know how you're supposed to have a collaborative conversation. With <laughs> inevitable lags in internet connection, someone's interrupting someone, someone was hearing someone later. It's hard to know when to jump in and how to jump in. There's a dynamic. You know, if it's largely lecture-based um, and everyone can, else can be on silent, yeah, I suppose that can work. But when a teacher's in a classroom, they can gauge students and kind of tell when one isn't getting it or getting distracted. And they also know the environment they're in. When they're in home environments and on mute, the teacher doesn't know what else is going on. It's going to be so hard for that teacher to gauge where the students are, how they're getting the material. I mean, I think there's some solutions here and ways to get creative, whether asking, um, typing in the chat box and asking interactive questions, having check-ins, maybe um, smaller peer groups and things. I think small classroom size, if it were possible, is a great solution or idea. But we'll talk about that later. That's maybe not supported in a lot of situations via time, money, staffing, so many reasons. So distance learning, I think, is going to be tough, and there's curves to it. We didn't have enough time to prepare, but there's a lot of safety there. Another con to distance learning, though, is it is reality for parents that the time, the schedule for parents working and trying to supervise their children, sign them in, sign them out, follow up, supervise, it's a lot. I think everyone can tell you it has not been going that great. <laughs> the spring didn't really work out well. Everyone's pretty stressed out. So then what if we go back to school? If we go back to school, we get the social again. The kids get to see each other. They get to learn with each other. They get to see their teachers. But we have risk of exposure. That's not to be minimized. That's a real thing. I don't think anyone thought we'd be where we're at right now. If the summer didn't quell things, I think we hoped by the fall things would calm down. It's not looking that way. I mean, we were talking about a second wave in the winter and worrying about that. Well, we haven't finished the first. <laughs> I, I don't think anyone saw that. So anyone's feelings, especially for immunocompromised, 
or with other family members, if, if you're worried about exposure, I get it. That's valid. If we go back to school, the curriculum is designed to work in the classroom. It's going to be easier for the teachers to teach as designed, to interact with the students, to see what's going on in the classroom. Teachers can monitor and see if there are kids who are maybe falling behind or need additional help or resources. It's more of an even access, even playing field for those kids, like we said, at home may not have the same level of access as other kids do. Another pro of going back to school would be parents can go back to work. Or parents still working from home can focus more on their work when they're home. I know that's not maybe everyone's favorite pro. Um, The teachers, you know, may say that that's not worth it in the face of health. I think this is one of those moments where we need to recognize that both are valid, that we don't know what's going on in households and parents and relationships and mental health and stress. So I think it's best if someone feels that something is important to them not to judge that. Connected to that, going back to school has an additional con of, for some kids, there may be a mental health implication there. For some kids, they might not care about wearing a mask. Sure, it's another cool fashion accessory. Match it to your scrunchie, you know? For other kids, that may feel very stifling. That may feel very uncomfortable and strange. And the rules of, you know, marching in lines six to ten feet apart, being isolated in different boxes at recess, you know, different schools have been trying different things from what I've seen. That might bother certain kids, and only you as a parent are really going to know and understand your kid and whether they can totally take this in stride or it's going to affect them. As a parent, you know. And then there's the combination options. I really see the combination of partial distance learning, partial back to school, as taking on the majority of the cons for both (laughs) distance and back to school, except you do get some social time but you lose the safe benefit. So I'm not sure that I understand this option. I, I think it's just the worst of both, quite frankly. How do you minimize the risk? Are you doing mornings, some kids, and afternoons a separate set with cleaning in between? Are you doing a few days on, a few days off? I've seen schools doing three days at school, two at home, and vice versa, or some kids three days, some kids five days. Are you doing two weeks on, two weeks off? So then there's that waiting period to see if anything pops up as far as the virus. I just don't know logically where this falls and how in the world, teachers, are you going to do this? God bless you. (laughs) Uh, It's just, I know they're trying to appeal to a lot of different people. As I said, having a lot of these different concerns, and I applaud the school systems for attempting that in the face of so much unknown. Um, But wow, I'm, I'm, just glad that I haven't personally had to go at planning that because that just sounds incredibly complicated. Other considerations when we look at all of these options are mental health. Mental health is no joke. This past five months has been a challenge for everybody. If you were already feeling mental health strain, you've probably felt it worse. If you weren't feeling it, you probably have at some point. Whether you feel alone and isolated, unsupported, drained, scared, unsure, anxious, longing, sadness, grief, there's a lot. I think everyone has felt it. And so that has to be considered. Maybe getting back to school would be a lifeline for people. 
Or maybe staying isolated is the security that others need. Other considerations are any child with special needs, be it physical, academic. There is so much that kids get access to through our public school system. And I don't know the proper terminology, but I know things like IEPs and 504s. And there's a lot of parents that fight for those things. And so how are kids going to get access to those services? How is that going to happen in a safe way in any of these scenarios? Are they going to miss out on those? Or, yeah, I have no idea really what that would look like. Then there's a large section of the population for where school is a refuge. And I'm not saying that this is right and that it's not a good thing that this is the role our teachers and schools have to play, that this is something that they bear. But it is a current reality that for students, school may mean security. School may mean meals. That's very real. It's not great. It's not good. I hope we find a way to start fixing that. But it's a current reality and something we need to consider. Other options are homeschool. You've heard me hint before and say we are, well, we were experimenting with homeschool last year. With everything going on, it was kind of a no-brainer for us to just continue. My son is still preschool age. But I've known enough and read enough and interacted enough with the community to see that homeschool is also affected. This thought that the kids stay at home and never go out into the world Some families may choose to do that, but I think most homeschool families are actually really busy. They have clubs, sports, music, arts, classes, playgroups. I mean, you can actually homeschool and be enrolled in classes most of the day. Also, for homeschool, an advantage is the courses are designed for this. They're interactive. They change. I think I already mentioned this earlier, but... The classes are dynamic. They're workbooks, they're videos, they're combinations. There's so much resource out there. And this could be a very good thing that if if parents who are on the edge are thinking about it or are willing to go into homeschool, it could alleviate some of the burden off of the classrooms, maybe shrink some of the classroom sizes. If distance learning isn't working for your child, if you want to augment or if you want to switch over and seek some of the homeschool resources, there are some awesome programs. There are a lot of programs, especially as the kids get older, that are online-based. And we you don't have to stress about it. It doesn't have to be six to eight hours. You don't have to be cutting and prepping and laminating all day. You don't have to be Pinterest perfect. You really don't. You can if that makes your heart sing. You can go for it. But guys, there are so many talents as a mom that aren't my talents <laughs> And I'm not doing that. I, I'm, I'm not. And it's okay. It's not what's completely necessary. Another benefit to homeschool is there is lots of support within that community. For parents, there's resources, there's groups. There is a lot of support, probably more than there is for distance learning. Maybe we can look to that and kind of morph some of that support. I've seen a lot of this community trying to reach out, morph that into how we can support parents through new to homeschool or distance learning. I'm sure there's some lessons learned there. But it is work. You may not have to be up all night making Pinterest perfect lesson plans, but there is work involved. There is some tracking. There is choosing curriculum, following through with curriculum. In some places you can teach. So you would have to be willing to take that on. And some parents are just, we're already at capacity. It's already been so hard. I get it. I see you. 
There's private schools as well. I think this varies state to state if they're going to fall under the same rules. So much of this is varying state to state and county to county, school district to school district. But if a charter or a private school can operate a little bit differently than some of this, maybe they have very small class size. If that is something you can afford and is available to you, it may be an option. Along those lines are a private tutor or nanny. I think that 2020 and 2021 are going to be the year of the nanny. And hopefully that can be a good thing and employ a lot of people who are in need of work, who have lost jobs. But if you can afford it, hiring a private tutor or nanny, again, alleviates some pressure off of the public school system. And either they can supervise your kids as they do distance learning or help you homeschool or make up the time gaps while you work in between. Um, But again, this is an option only for those who can afford it. So for a large population, this doesn't apply. So that was mostly from the perspective of the students and parents. I think we also obviously need to talk about the teachers and the staff. And the biggest obvious thing is the risk of health. I've seen some very upset posts from teachers I know lately and talking about the Petri dish, that they are the testing ground of the United States. If you have kids, you know they catch everything. Even if the science is saying that the transmission among kids is low, I think we're all like, "Mm, I don't trust that. Because how many of you, okay, you know, Secretly raise your hand right now if your kids have gotten the weirdest diseases ever that you've like never heard of. Fifth's disease, hand, foot, and mouth. Anyone have that one a couple times through? Yeah. Let's see. What else is there? Ringworm, lice, every cold, ear infection, conjunctivitis, bronchitis, every infection known to man. These small children just, Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, I mean, that's kind of funny because parents can relate, but it's also, I think, why people are concerned because children in their curiosity of touching things and their young budding immune systems just love to pick up new germs. I think what we need to ask with this one, though, is, is school essential or not? Our teachers, our schools essential workers. It's kind of a decision that when everything happened in the spring, it made sense to kind of shut down. It was so heightened. We thought we could just get it under control. The loss didn't seem that great. So we shut down, but we never really had the conversation. Is this essential? I mean, if it's not, how long do we wait? Or if it is, but it is, it needs to be in a distance learning capacity. Well, I'll come up to that in a moment. But if they are, then you're going to join grocery, medical, utilities. We might be looking at long term. We might be looking at a couple years. We're not sure what's going to happen. If you're waiting for the vaccine, we might get that. It seems they're going pretty fast. But they aren't always able to adopt a vaccine. There's no vaccine for the common cold. We haven't really figured it out for the flu. Other coronavirus strains, they never nailed down a vaccine. Other outbreaks, we were fortunate never got bad and kind of quieted down. If you look at the other SARS outbreaks and MERS. And I don't, I don't want to say that to upset or scare anybody, but we may need to be thinking 
a long-term game. I don't know if this brings any hope to teachers, um, but my husband is in the military. And so since this started, he has continued to work. Not at home, but at work. Um, Part of the deal of the military is that you're always ready. Deployments keep happening. Whether we're actively in conflicts or not, deployments are a very active, consistent, real part of military life. You may be like, duh. But for a lot of people I've talked to, they don't realize that. They they think my husband never deploys. And um, that's not accurate. There were a lot of people that when this started, the way they put a stop order on ended up having very long deployments, having to stay out on deployment and not coming home and being replaced. Um, so for those men and women, a lot of them who just got home, welcome home and thank you to those families. Oh, that's hard. Thank you for what you do, too. So the example of the military I wanted to use is that my husband has continued to work and they did their best to figure out very quickly what to do. They experimented with cutting the crew, the staffing in half, and some work some days, some work other days. But what's been really effective is they have excellent contact tracing. And I don't know if it's military-wide or it's just my husband's unit, but when you join the military you basically agree to give up a whole bunch of your privacy. (laughs) You don't have a lot of say about a lot of things in your life. And it's different for my husband than it is for us. But he medically discloses everything and travel, where he goes, what he does as part of signing on for being always ready. That's part of the deal. So they have this excellent spreadsheet where they're tracking who's here, who's away, who was allowed to go on training, who's not feeling great, who's suspected of having contact, who's suspected of having it, who came in contact. So anytime someone has been suspected of having coronavirus, anyone who's been in contact goes home. Everyone goes home and waits until that test comes back. And so that's happened a couple times where we've self-isolated completely as a family for a couple days waiting to hear back. And then they've isolated anyone who did have contact with that person if the original person of suspicion tested positive. And at first I was like, gosh, this feels silly and overbearing. And, you know, travel has been pretty much non-existent for military for family purposes or for work purposes. Very minimal anytime, anyway, in our lives, if we're going over a certain radius, um, there's permission to be filled out and just, hey, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. So that's something that they're very used to as military, but it's proven so effective because they know who went where and did what when. And I think they've had a handful of cases, but it hasn't spread. And so I go on this long story to say that something like this could be very effective, implemented among teachers, maybe students, But the information would have to be voluntary. I mean, no one could force you to really give it. That's not the country we live in. But I say it in a way to maybe challenge people. Is there a way we could do a voluntary disclosure? Would we be willing to do that as Americans? I'm not sure. But it's something to think about, that that contact tracing has been very effective. Another thing coming up is that the schools and the teachers are not babysitters. That people are saying, I need kids to go back to school. I'm so exhausted. I need to work. I need to get back to work. I need to focus. I'm burned out. And the teachers are raising their hands and saying, I'm not your babysitter. No, 
no, you're not our babysitter. And I don't think that's the parent's intent to make you feel that way. What's the reality is that our entire economy has grown around this structure and this expectation that once our kids reach a certain age, they're in school most of the day. I don't think people are trying to choose economy over health and be Scrooge. People are afraid of losing jobs, homes, and health care, and that bears a large health burden as well. So no, teachers, you're not our babysitters, and we don't want to burden you with that, and that's not your role in our society. The answer here isn't to blame parents or educators, whether they want to be home or whether they want to be back. The answer is we should be protected by our government, by our leadership. We shouldn't have to be in this position to make this choice. If parents knew their jobs were secure, if they knew, if anyone knew their health care was secure, If the schools were given the funding to properly roll out distance learning, to properly sanitize and come up with distancing, and I mean, they're saying the amount of money that these schools need to spend to adapt to all these new protocols is just staggering. There needs to be PPE. There needs to be raise in pay instead of lowering of pay. The budgets are being slashed instead of raised. We need to hire two more, two times as many, three times as many teachers. Let's not be mad at each other. Let's be mad at where we've been let down, at why and how we've been put in this situation. And now we're going to do the best to make the best possible choice we can within it. So please don't shame each other. Please don't guilt and judge each other. You know, maybe this could be a time for radical change and everyone's like, oh, please, can we stop? Can we just survive? But, you know, I I am of the mindset that school really needed a new approach, that the world has rapidly changed in the last 70 years. Technology has completely changed our workforce, our world, classrooms. We recognize now neurodiversity and that people learn. Not everyone can learn sitting at a desk. Gosh, I struggled. I needed stimuli. I needed music. Some kids tap their feet. Some kids need to move or kinesthetic. And teachers are doing their best to teach to a variety of methods. But there's so many ways in which they're constrained and not supported. I think maybe we need a radical new approach to school anyway. And this is, if someone would love to talk to me on this, if you have ideas on this or you've done research, please DM me, email me, message me. I would love to have this conversation with someone and explore the possibilities of where education can go and shift and change in the future. So we've talked about the health risk. Then there's academics. We've hinted on it a bit, but teachers are not being given guidance, support, the time, the resources to restructure curriculum for distance learning. And I still wonder, how are they going to do the work of offering both? How? How do you expect them to work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or probably longer if they're doing multiple shifts of students? They're teaching online as well as teaching inside a classroom. And then there's the talk about what's happening where. So in California, it looks like we're not going to have a choice that if your county is on the kind of this list and metric they developed, which I think is actually very good. But if your county is on this list of being at higher risk, your schools can't open. 
But it's still not clear to everybody at what date is that decision made? And then for how long is that decision made? Is it as soon as you're off the list, you're back to school? Or are you reevaluating at one month, three months, two months? Are you just going to stay with something consistently for six months and let everyone breathe? I mean, how are teachers, how are parents going to adapt when it's we're home for two weeks and then we're at school? I mean, there's work, there's transportation, there's meals, there's childcare for other children. If we're going to bounce back and forth and give very last minute notice, I mean, I think the CDC guidelines came out two or three days before I'm recording this, and some schools opened today. I mean, we, we're not really giving a lot of time to adapt. Something I'm also very curious about is what's going on in other countries. Because quite frankly, with this whole mess, our numbers are far and above the rest of the world. And some people like to say, oh, population density. And there's other places with high population density that don't have near the cases we do. And they say, well, they don't have freedoms. True. There are many countries in which they have given up a lot of personal freedom or, well, never had it, maybe. But that, yes, the exchange of personal freedom for containment of this disease has happened. But then there's other countries. I'm seeing things like Denmark, maybe South Korea, places that really have mitigated their spread and have gotten the kids back to school. Small classroom sizes, procedures, policies. It's something I haven't had time to dive into completely, but I'd love to expand upon. I think we need to be willing to look outside of ourselves, outside of the United States, to find good solutions. Of the industrialized world, we are constantly last. Last for education. Last for coronavirus. Last for maternal health. I mean, there's a lot of things that, guys, we, we think we're so awesome and no one else has it figured out. And maybe, you know, a lot of those things that they may have figured out come with other complicated aspects, come with other implications. But it's at least worth examining. It's at least worth doing some good research. But again, I think we can point to a real shortfall of lack of information management, lack of a solid plan, lack of government resources. I think we should be pouring money into education right now. If there was ever a time to do it, it's now. So teachers in schools, looking at things from your perspective, what we know is that teachers love these kids. Is that teachers want to make a difference. That they want to make an impact. They're not joining this career to make a ton of money. Because we all know that's not the case. They also have their own families and their own lives at stake. Parents, your decision is a good decision. It's okay if you want your kids back at school. It's okay if you want to keep your kids home. It's okay if you want the best of both. Okay to be overwhelmed, okay to be unsure, sad, frustrated, angry. Parents, it's okay if you and your neighbor, your friend, your family differ on what they are comfortable with. I am a person who tends to be opinionated when I've 
come to research and certain understanding of what I accept as truth for me. And one of the biggest things that I've learned, maybe at this age or especially in this time, is just having complete respect, doing my best to have complete respect for where anyone else is. We are not to be in a place of judgment. It is not a judgment on you if someone makes a different choice. It is not a mark of unfounded anxiety or unacceptable risk. You evaluate your situation, and they can evaluate theirs. We use gut intuition. We can make a choice and let ourselves be confident in that. And by the same thread, don't shame others to make yourself feel better, to justify your decision. Oh, I can't believe they would send their kid back to school. Oh my gosh, why are they going to hide inside for the rest of their lives? Let's not make those comments. Let's not do that. This isn't teams or camps or politics. This is one of those hard situations where I don't think there's perfect choices. I don't think that we can write a list and say, absolutely, this is the choice. That's why we're in the situation we're in. You know, I've seen a couple great posts where it's like, we can see that there's a dangerous health risk and have concern about that and be concerned for our teachers and our children's well-being and really badly want them to get back to school, to see their friends, to see their teachers, to be in that academic environment, to give us a break to get back to some normalcy, to get back to focusing on work. It's okay to, for there to be a duality, for us to want both of those things. Teachers, your decision, if you're given one, is good. It's hard. We are sorry that you are facing this. The truth is our community needs you, that we often have taken advantage of you. We know that you are doing your very best in a very hard situation, and we are grateful for you. Now, <clears throat> government. You know, it's getting hard to keep this a clean episode because this is bleeping ridiculous. You know, over my life, I have lived in many areas of the country, from New England to the South to the deeper South to California, and over my social media or over the people that I know in my life, there is a very diverse array of political opinions on every topic that you could imagine. I have both extremes side by side. But no matter what side you're on right now, I think we can agree that we are woefully unprepared for this new school year. Very little was done. Very little guidance was given. I mean, guidance is coming out now. School is starting now or within the next two to four weeks. Did our leadership just think this was going to up and disappear? Did they not have the leverage or possibly think, hmm, perhaps we should prepare for this in case this is what happens? Or even if things had calmed down by now, they kept assuring us there would be a second wave. Okay, well, what were your plans for the second wave? Surely you had some staff working on that, no? We need funding. We need guidance. The teachers, the parents, the communities need support. People need to know that they can have health care, 
that they can have jobs. Kids need access to education in whatever form it comes. They need access to good, safe education. Yes, yes. Everyone agree? Do we all agree on something? Maybe? All right. Now everyone lower. (laughs) We're going to do our best to lower our blood pressure back down. Parents, I want to offer you some hope. I really, truly believe the kids will be all right. I personally refuse to believe that they will forever be behind as long as we as adults act. This is where, as a culture, as a society, as the human race, we get resourceful. We get scrappy. We get creative. In episode four of the podcast, I talked about grit. If you hadn't heard it, shameless plug, please go back and listen. It's definitely something I believe in and I'm going to continue to talk about and expand on its application. But grit, I broke into an acronym. And in this circumstance, grounded, grounded in our values of community, of education, of hope. Remember that. Start with that. Resourcefulness. We're already seeing this in teachers and parents doing what they can. I saw something about teachers getting PVC and plastic, making their own dividers for their classrooms, which, by the way, they should not be having to do. But we can get resourceful in how we get creative in online learning, in the school systems already coming up with these diverse offerings and schedules, and without a greater plan, trying to offer alternatives to suit every household, child, teacher. I mean, I really think everyone's doing their best to meet everyone where they're at so everyone can feel safe and supported and have access to education. Responsibility. This pandemic cannot be blamed. They're really, we cannot blame each other for these circumstances, for each other's choices. We can call upon leadership to take responsibility when they manage the funds and guide and care for us. Initiative. Let's get creative. Let's rethink school structure, peer-to-peer review, learning, testing standards. That's what's going to be required. We're, we're going to have to get creative. What is school? What is an education? And, and maybe this is a sidebar, but really, as a parent, as an educator, what is an education? What does my child need to succeed in the world? Is it specific knowledge? Is it recall? Is it a certain set of facts that they need to know? I mean, reading, writing, comprehension, a general knowledge of government, the physical world around us, how to be good citizens within it, how to be good stewards of the earth. But other than some of that, what really is an education, especially when we get to these older ages? Is it specific facts? Is there a certain number of facts and a certain exact amount of things they have to know? Because there's so much to know in the world. And as adults who are lifelong learners, you know, you kind of look back and you're like, ah, I want to go to college or high school again because I just want to learn all the things. So maybe it's a well-rounded basic knowledge, then supported by methodology and ability to go into the world and to know how to learn, to know how to interact, to know where to seek answers. And if we can give our children that, we'll be successful. They will be successful. 
So maybe a course here, a unit there. Is that specific subject, is that specific topic, are those specific facts completely crucial? Do they have a methodology where they can access that? Do they understand a greater... I mean, I think there's shortcomings in education anyway. Let's all admit that a lot of us were not taught accurate U.S. history. There's so much I'm learning about what happened with the Black community that I am completely angry about and completely shocked that I had no idea and embarrassed. So we already know we're failing in certain aspects. Finally, tenacity. Don't lose hope, friends. Don't. We can do this. We can come together. We can support the teachers. We can support the parents. We can support our neighbors. We can support our community. If we come together, if we support each other, if we see each other's choices with love and kindness and hope and help, we can do this. The kids are watching us. They're watching what world we're going to create for them to inherit. They're watching how we react. They're watching how we handle stress, how we model strength, how we model mental health care, how we model boundaries, how we model a love of learning and an importance of learning. Parents, teachers, I hope you feel seen. I hope you feel that someone sees and hears and understands your concerns. They're valid. They're all valid. This is not how I usually record an episode. It was much more off the cuff. I know I went on a couple um, sidebars. I try to keep it neutral. Um, It's hard not to be passionate about what's going on right now. It's hard not to be a little bit rowdy when it comes to our children, our future, our safety, our health. So I hope you bared with me through all that. I'm interested. I'm interested in how you're feeling and what you're saying. I kind of threw this out on social media and didn't hear as much as I thought I would. A lot of overwhelm. A lot of I have no idea. A lot of I'm scared. But I also know there are some of you that have great ideas or that have very valid concerns that maybe I completely missed the mark. Things that were off my radar and didn't realize. So if you want to discuss with me, enlighten. If you want to come on and talk, send me a message. You can find the show notes and more at www.nancyelizabeth.com. You can find me at hello Nancy Elizabeth on Instagram and tell me all your thoughts there if you want. It's okay. I'm willing to listen. If I said something wrong, you can tell me. Thank you, friends. I hope you find peace. I hope you're able to make a decision that you can feel firm in. You know your children. Follow your intuition, follow your heart.